Greetings, ladies and mendigents, and welcome to the narration of the web novel, There is no epic lucha, only puns, taken from Royal Road with the user's approval. If you are new to the series, there is a playlist listed in the description. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 145 The Things That Brought Us Here Aza nervously tied the knife to his waist. Nice and tight. You don't want to lose your nice side knife. Adventurers who lose their side knives lose their lives shortly after, said an old, familiar voice behind Hazer. He turned to see the leader of his group strolling towards him. Hazer tried to grow why he thought he was in a bath, why he was in a place he only saw in memories and nightmares. Master Ivan, he said nervously, voice deeper at age of sixteen than most. The man clapped Hazer on the shoulder. None of that! We're going into trouble together, so just Ivan, he said, and Hazar's head hurt as people moved past, some with faces, some blurred, as if the world that deemed them unimportant. But despite that, Hazar felt like he was exactly where he should be. Is it trouble? I thought you kept on top of it, Hazar mumbled, and Ivan peered over him to something in the distance. Dungeons can be sneaky, yeah, this one more so than most. About their new level, sir. You only get the big mana surges every couple of levels, and the deeper the dungeon. The less makes it to the top, Ivan said as he rubbed his grizzled face and collected scars from many years of trouble. I fought fair play, had men on every floor, merchants before every bosh, and constant material collection, Azar said with a frown. Idly rubbing the bridge of his belt, that denoted him as fair play scout team 35. It's good at propaganda, isn't it? Dungeons made safe, Ivan cackled, as if it imagined the slogan on some colorful poster. We have enough men. If we focused ourselves, we could do that, but that was uh, 20, 30 dungeons ago. Ivan went on as he pulled his short sword and shield out of check for nicks and damage before the expedition began. I don't know that there were that many, Azar said, proudly. He mentally counted the famous ones in his hand. The Royal Dungeon, the Great Ruby of the Desert, the Lighthouse, the Pestilent Swamp, the Silver Halls, and a few that he heard about by gossip. Like one in a land where they spoke semi-common and a mix of their own tongue. Supposedly, there was one under the world tree when the thing went feral ages ago. Dungeons are symbiotic or parasitic depending on your relationship to local life. Some dungeons just get unlucky and birth in areas with not much in them. No prey. No growth, and thus no one really knows that they're there. Ivan went on, checking his armor straps next. Hazar hesitated and did the same. Doesn't Fairplay pay big magic for tracking maps? He pushed, wondering if he could join up with the scam group. It's no delicate spiderweb, lad. It's a big metal nose pointing at the sky, and only a big prey gives off any reasonable manner to sniff at. Most of the scouts find dungeons off the beaten path, mostly by luck. Ivan admitted as he stood up on the road. That's right. They were in a town. And the towns that sell the rights, Hazar recalled as he turned slowly. Aye, the dungeons are like finding a caged beast in your garden. Some talented folk can make it work, but most just end up feeding it. There's no shame in admitting that you're over the head with illegal jargon, got important, when greedy mayors and kings try to snatch the dungeons back once we mastered them. Ivan said with a dark look. Hazar was sure that the jargon went both ways in unfairness, but he didn't care. He was just here to get his name out there. 
He wanted to be a famous like Cataract, the Spear, or Lorsa, the Night Captain. Maybe even like the rising hero in his hometown, Ruberio Smalls, or Smalls the Great. The man whose rapier could have cleave iron from rock and web from a spider. Ivan's hand smacked the back of his head before he put on his gauntlets. Daydreaming already. We haven't even gone inside, he guffawed with a bright cheer. Hazer glared at his leader, rubbing his already forming bump before he followed him and the others to the entrance of the dungeon. It was a chaotic looking thing. A door that half rose out of the sea with pink coral forming walls and stairs. The chaos came into focus when the metal gate that would guard the castle rose out of the sand and rocks, mashing wildly with the coral to form a twisted blend of pink and iron. The entrance opened with snaps of coral pieces and metal bars, but it did open. Ever been to the famous dungeon the Twin Calls? Ivan asked conversationally. Hazar was too awestruck to answer. Someone came up to Ivan, speaking in a faint voice that Hazar didn't take notice of. He took a step forward, almost hypnotized by the entrance. His glory and fame laid within, and he gripped his axe with eagerness. Hazar the Mighty, no, Hazar the Great. His heart burned with a joy and anticipation. Yet, even lost in the tranquil memory, a horrible lurch of pain filled Hazar. He was not sixteen, or a boy. He knew how it ended, and he tried to make his feet turn back, to run away. But he was a watcher more than an actor at this point. They entered, finding the entrance hall to be a mix of swirling coral, doing battle with jagged metal statues. The coral infecting the statues like parasites as metal rusted and diluted the pink rock in return. In front of them, a door opened to the left, leading down, and a door opened to the right, leading forward. The doors were simply rock, but on the surface their scripture that seemed old-fashioned, even for someone like Ivan to read. The other portal is upon certain death, Hazar read as he turned to the other. The other door upon no honor is certain life, he said, and Ivan started. Welcome to the running theme of the dungeon, conflicting style and always two choices, he said with a sigh, and pulled out a detailed map showing the way forward leading to a series of rooms with clear marked traps and a door leading down to something Ivan had marked as the pit of coral crabs that also had ways to proceed forward. Teams already marked up to the 35th floor, so we're covering the majority there. We have to do a week's worth of scouting, checking for new monsters or patrol deviations in existing creatures. Ivan instructed the team, though Hazar could only see Ivan. I don't think I can fight. Hazar said, draining off as Ivan smiled at him. We've got two fair maidens coming in. They'll clear a path forward when we need it. But don't expect them to hold your hands. No, you might want them to. He said, grinning, as Hazar went pink at the cheeks, looking down at the pink coral to avoid Ivan's gaze. Hazar had seen one. She'd been the most beautiful thing that he'd ever seen. Bila, will it be winter's silent sigh? He asked, ever so casually. Hmm, not likely. We're expecting trouble. Not a full-blown corrupted dungeon, Ivan replied dryly. But, uh, Isanella, um, she, she'd be the strongest, right? He argued, as if Ivan had any say in what the maidens went. In the right field, they're all the strongest. But I'm not getting sucked into another maiden debate. Everyone has their personal favorite. He warned. He marked a path on his map. 
Anyway, Isanella is getting sent to the Blood Plains. A tribe there has knowledge of the dungeon that she's been sent to convince them to share. She said as Hazar's heart dropped. He really wanted to impress the fair maiden with his, uh, low-rank skills. Besides, everyone knows Brulda of the Striking Summer as the best fair maiden, Ivan said cheerfully as they set off. Hazar bristled. Maybe. Maybe you'd let Spirit Hope Maiden of all the Kingdom Fall Maiden be considered. But Summer? He was as bad as his cousin who sneezed smocks and ate frogs for fun. Khan stared up at the giant tower jutting out of the sand in the far distance. The harsh sun of the sister beat down hard in this region, and the sand around them shifted on harsh winds. I've already handled this, he called out to the illusion of drugs and magic. The sun flickered and the tower tilted. The scene shifted to him staring up at a half-wolf, half-woman covered slave of blood, snarling as she raised her weapon to remove Khan's head. Nope, I got this out in a drunken party. Was cathartic. There was a pause and the scene shifted and Khan found himself in one of the few oases in the desert, holding a gleaming scimitar. He was maybe twelve, maybe young. Oh, uh, I haven't dealt with this, uh, this one's a good one, he called out, trying to be helpful to make for his crab-stomping business from before. The weapon he held had many gems embedded in it, and Khan had pulled it out from the bottom of the oasis after he fell while trying to swim. Khan wasn't sure if he was trying to kill himself, or honestly, was just wondering about being in the water was like. Child of the dooms, the sword mumbled, as if trying to remember a script it had forgotten. It sounded male and half asleep. I am slave 22, Khan said, remembering how the conversation had gone. And I am the great Gyama, a weapon of a thousand dreams and forms. The weapon responded, sounding more on track now. This is painful, can we not? Khan asked honestly, ignoring the scene for a moment. Luna's voice hummed from far, like she was in the moon itself in the sky. The point is to address old wounds, but you're free to leave. Only two need pass, but no one else has yet, Luna said breezily. Khan thought furiously for a moment. He presumed Hazar would pass. Silver was 50-50, but Estelle. I already know what happens. I don't see how reliving it makes me stronger, he argued, but decided in his heart to remain in the ritual. Slave, huh? Well, listen up, kiddo. If you tell me what you wish and take me away from this oasis, I'll make your wish come true. Gamma said, and Khan sighed. You won't, he said, with an absolute confidence. Oi, oi, don't doubt me. So I just need to ask a question real quick before I make some magic happen. Do the names Alpha, Beta, or Delta sound familiar? Gamma asked, and Khan jostled in surprise. He'd forgotten Gamma had asked that. His original answer would have had to have been no. But now, Delta. He was in a dungeon of Delta. Khan felt his heart beating faster as he had a dark thoughts rise up. Shame, Gamma said as if Khan had answered. In a moment, Khan threw the blasted sword back in the oasis with a snarl. There was a ripple and the scene reset itself. He was holding the sword. Child of the dunes. Khan threw the sword away. The scene reset itself. Khan tried to bury it, and the scene reset itself. Finally, he just stood there, 
listening to Gamma effectively talk to himself as calm as a slain boy was still there. Still talking. You just hold me high and announce yourself free. I'll take care of the rest, Gamma promised, and Khan watched as Gamma turned into some strange contraption that he'd once seen at the blacksmith's. A sword moved on its own, clipping Khan's chains so that they dropped into the sand below with a thud. See, freedom is here already, Gamma sang, and Khan looked at it. You gave me hope, he accused hoarsely. Gamma oddly broke the script to reply. I gave you a weapon. Don't blame me for anything else. The weapon retorted as it shifted to a giant axe that little Khan could lift with ease. Khan remembered the path he took back to the camp. The other slaves saw him first, backing away as their chains rattled, tied to metal poles buried in the sand. Khan couldn't lie. Gamma did as he promised, and as he held the weapon up, Gamma seemed to attack on his own, dragging Khan around rather than the other way around. The axe became a myriad of weapons, cutting down his slavers to the point Khan could feel he was losing some strength as Gamma wielded him. Before he could do much to stop Gamma or even think of letting go, Gamma lurched towards the harsh open deserts. Come on, more will come, and you are my only chance of getting some real place. I've been stuck in the oasis for two months, Gamma complained as Khan stared wide-eyed. His face felt hot as sticky stuff dried on it. No, no, the others, Khan protested as his will made Gamma pause. Well, all right, but that's a lot of slaves, he reminded as he let Khan drag him back and started hacking up the chains. Khan hacked and hacked, remembering very little of the faces he rescued. They all backed away from him and just ran. Kid, the patrols are coming back and we don't have the energy to take more on. Grab a horse, Gamma insisted. Khan didn't exactly regret trying to save the slaves but he clearly could see that it was a lost cause as he was much older. Khan watched his little hand swing over and over, freeing more people as he returned closer to the water's edge in his haste. He was going to fight, die as a free boy, and live anymore as a slave, but... Anyone with a brain, raise your hand and I'll get us out of here, Gamma yelled in a slight panic as Khan got too close to the oasis once more to free more people. I don't want to go back into the oasis... Gamma yelled, losing all composure. Khan blinked as the older woman snapped Gamma out of his hands. It was so easy for her since Gamma forced himself out of Khan's grip. Take me from here, Devilblade, she commanded with a rasp and kicked Khan down to the water's edge as chaos erupted in the camp. Khan looked up, sand sticking to his face. Gamma, you, he said, but both of them were gone over the embankment and into the fight. Khan reached his hand out for someone to help him. But no one came. No one came except for the chains. The others say the boy brought the devil blade to the camp. A large man called and caught and just laid there, feeling hollow and used. The slaver leaned down at the ruins of the camp, gripping Khan's collar tightly. No magic blade here, boy. No friends among slaves, no heroes. He said and Khan didn't feel fear at the sight of the man. He had seen far greater men and demons bare their teeth at him. I was a hero, and Gamma was a coward, Khan said flatly, and it broke apart. He was abruptly back in the pool, head in Luna's lap, and he rested in calm pool. I failed, he said with a blank tone. Oh, 
Adventurer, the only mark of failure at my hot spring is the unwillingness to face your demons at all. Running is failure, but I think seeing things from a different perspective helps a little, Luna said smoothly. Khan just sat in the steaming pool for a moment longer before speaking. I do not get the lesson, he finally admitted. Depends on how you want to take it, Luna said, bemused. Perhaps seeing that you were a boy who was used and left made you not for failure or a coward. Perhaps seeing the fact that you were a boy who was used and left made you not a failure, nor a coward. Perhaps seeing the options that you had, that if you left the slaves to perish, then you would be a different, lesser man, with a cowardly blade at your side. She said with a long sigh. Khan blinked once and then looked down at his pruning fingers. I chose to be free, even when they put those chains back on me and branded my back. I had tasted hope, hope from a traitor, like a poisoned wine. I was free in my heart, they said slowly. Luna smiled at him and Khan couldn't say that he was into frog people, but she was pretty in her hazy hot spring air and calm aura. Now you can be free to hunt down the treacherous blade and snap it like a man's private pride into two then melt those pieces down and make fashionable earrings, Luna advised brightly. Anyone else passed? He asked, and Luna gestured to the side where Silver waited on the bench, holding a rather tiny shell of some hairy fruit that had a pink umbrella in it. Arn needed one of those things, so he joined the odd Silver on the bench. How was your drama? Arn asked politely, and Silver turned his head to Arn with an unnatural rigidity. Inside, I am a storm of howling beasts that slather and drool for serene release from these memories that hound my soul like hornets that have knives instead of stingers, Silver responded tersely. So, um, Gon trailed off, not sure what to say. It sucked, and I am now on the path of cathartic hearing, I suppose, Silver summed up. There was a violent explosion from the pool Estelle had been in, and she stood up. Barriers forming together in such a way that she made two giant hands that were attempting to squash somebody's head. Fulva! She screamed before she spun and stormed forward, still in whatever illusion she was in. She began to knock over something in a vision. I hate you, your porcelain duck collection. I hate your stupid pen collection. I hate your stupid books, she yelled, throwing the objects down with glee. Luna cautiously prodded her back to the pool with a long stick. I don't need your or anyone's approval, Estelle concluded, as she flexed her magic and pointed forward. I am a barrier mage, Estelle unnamed. I discard your name, mage Thunderblaze, she announced and can't stare as a swimsuit was tearing from the magic. What's the drama, he said with excitement, but Luna swaddled her in a large, colorful towel. Mage names... I remember that being important, Khan commented and Silver nodded. Mage names are the very magic they wield. It's rare to see one to have such a powerful effect as Thunderblaze. It would be worth a lot of clout in magic circles, Silver explained. Khan remembered a few mages, but they all had wiggle or tapping in their name. He hadn't fought one that had a real mage name before. Chris Fire Smasher, Alpha said, making note of it. The scarfy blonde man sighed and his companion leaned over with a wide smile. Salvation! I am Sethemus Purging River. I am a life companion of Chris. I cool his burning tongue. 
he introduced, and Alpha stared at the man with utter bafflement. He's a long-time friend who stops me from saying rude people on fire, Quest translated as he nursed his drink. Isanella said that I should introduce myself to ten people so that I can get over my crippling fear of socialization, Alpha said, as to explain why he was bothering with the wizards. Quest, isn't he funny, Seth said, in that weird tongue that used manner. I thought I was being serious, Alpha frowned at the same tongue. Seth and Quist turned to him with surprise. You're a mage, Quist asked, and Alpha paused. He was a lot of things, if he was being honest. Nodding, Alpha watched as both men eyed him. What's your name? Quist asked slowly. Alpha, he responded simply. That was an easy question. No, your mage name, Seth asked with excitement. Alpha mentally checked his stats and didn't find the title that fit the mage name. I don't have one, he admitted as he wondered if he should flee the bar and try somewhere else. But the only other interesting place was the bank, and the man there asked if Alpha was donating blood, memories, or gold. Hmm, can't be left alone. A mage with no name is like a man with no underwear on. Just rubs the wrong way, Chris said, as he stood up and took his very nice hat off. Alpha stared at the magic hat as Chris waved a hand over it. By the power of a named wizard and someone who's worked double shift today, I open the way to the realm of names he said, and the hat shook before there was a sound like a plug being uncorked, and a cold air began to leak from the hat. Dummy nervous, just reach in and pluck out a piece of paper, Seth said in a magic tongue, clapping his hands excitedly. Alpha got a quest to do just that, so he shrugged and reached in. It was a lot like pushing his hand through a thick pudding that was cool and occasionally parted to reveal pockets of air that had jetty worms in them. After some fisting of the pudding-like realm, Alpha finally felt what seemed to be a scrap of paper. He pulled out his hand, which was now covered in a dark purple slime, holding a piece of paper. He read it. Alpha First King. Far across the Rand, near the capital, a series of tools and instruments began to vanish of very shocked, bow naked old man, leaving him standing nude in the great hall of the wizard clan. He was soon discovered that there was a new position above Grand Mage, and its name was Mage King. In a single act of pulling from a hat, magic as they knew it was forever change. Or as Sister would say, finally moved out of Alpha. End of chapter.